I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to continue to read A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Want to learn about Charles Dickens? Charles Dickens was born the 7th of February, 1812, and died the 9th of June, 1870. That's a nice good run. He was an English writer, social critic, and human jerk to his wife and kids. He created some of the world's best-known fictional characters and is regarded by many as the greatest novelist of the Victorian era and a fantastic asshole to the people around him. His works enjoyed unprecedented popularity during his lifetime and by the 20th century, critics, 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 and scholars had recognized him as a literary genius. His novels and short stories are widely... Uh, read today. Interesting to note, not many people are aware of how much of a horrible person he was. You want to learn some fun facts? I got some fun facts. What you didn't know about Charles Dickens' affair. Life has no charm. This is from grunge.com, so expected to say things like tits or cool or cherry tits. Life has no charms, no happiness, no pleasures. Now for me, Charles Dickens once wrote in a love poem, uh, like those I feel when "'Tis my lot, Maria, to gaze on thee.'" The Maria in question was Maria Bednell. That's a Dickens name. Who's, who Dickens met while working as a reporter in May 1830, per The Guardian. He was 18 years old at the time, and she was 20. Scandalous. Dickens went on to pursue Bednell for more than two decades, because she's got one of those weird names he always puts in his books. That's why he's into her. And even she was inspired the characters, Dora Spenlow in a David Copperfield, and Flora Finching. See? This example of stupid names. Uh, in Little Dorrit. In his youth, Dickens wrote of Arthur Clemen and Flora, Flora Finching ugh, in Little Dorrit. Ugh. And he, this is like those sci-fi names. And he had uh, ardently loved this woman and had heaped upon her all the locked-up wealth of his affection and imagination. That wealth had been lying idle in the dark rust until he poured it out to her. Dickens pursued Bednell and Ernest for three years before she pushed him away and they lost touch. But that wasn't the end of the story for this pair. Dickens wrote a Maria Bednell letters for years. Though Maria Bednell was one that got away from Charles Dickens, he held on to the memory of her. According to Robert Garnett's 2012 biography, Charles Dickens in Love, ugh. Bednell wrote to Dickens years after they first went in their separate ways to suggest burp, that they reconnect as friends. Both of them were married, but that didn't stop Dickens. No, I told you in the previous episode what he did to his wife, and from getting swept up in romantic fantasies after reading her words. Quote, you open a way to a confidence between us, he wrote in his reply, which still once more, in perfect innocence and good faith, may be between ourselves alone. In a letter to Badnell, circa 1855, a quarter of a century after their initial meeting, Dickens wrote, uh, whatever fancy, romance, energy, passion, aspiration, and determination belong to me, I have never separated and shall now uh, separate from the hard-hearted little woman, you, whom it is nothing to say what I would have died for, with the greatest al alacrity. It's a matter of uh, perfect certainty to me that I began to fight my way out of poverty and obscurity with one perpetual idea of you. Charles Dickens' anticipated reunion with Maria Bednell was a shocking disappointment. As Claire Tomlin wrote in her 2011 biography, Charles Dickens' A Life, ugh, Maria Bednell seemed enchantedly pretty to Dickens, even with eyebrows that almost set in the middle, ooh, and was uh, capricious, and to judge by what she later became, silly. After reviving their connection through a passionate exchange of several letters, Bednell and Dickens finally reunited face-to-face, -face, but to Dickens' dismay, the face before him was not the one he had his mind's eye on all those years. In a letter to Duke Devonshire, ugh, these names, 
Following the meeting, Dickens wrote, We have all had our floors. Mine is living and extremely fat. What a dick. Following their meeting, Dickens' long lyrical letters to Bednell became a, a thing of the past. Oh, thank God. Well, he's an asshole. We almost finished that one. But uh, yeah, just a dick. Just a horrible person. Plus, everyone in England had weird names. Like, everyone in 60s sci-fi novels have stupid names. Oh, well, with that, why don't we dive into the second chapter? Stave two, the first of three spirits. When Scrooge awoke, oh, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. Oh, he's endeavoring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes when the chimes of a neighboring church struck the four quarters. So he listened for the hour. Uh, to his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven, and then from, from seven burp to eight, and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve? It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have gotten in the works. Twelve! Exclamation point. He touched the spring of his repeater to correct the most preposterous clock. Its rapid little pulse beat twelve and stopped. Why, it is impossible, said Scrooge, that I could have slept through the whole day and this far into the night. Uh, it is impossible that anything has happened to the sun. This uh, is twelve at noon. The idea began uh, being an alarming one. He scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. He was obliged to rub the frost off with the sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold and that there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir. And it was unquestionably that he would have uh, been night had beaten off the day and taken possession of the world. It was his great relief because three days after sight of his first exchange pay to Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge of this order and so forth it had become the I mean, United States security if there were no days to count by. Uh, Scrooge went to bed again and thought and thought and thought it over and over. It could make nothing of it. And the more he thought, the more perplexed he was. And the more he endeavored not to think, the more he thought. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself after mature inquiry, that is all a dream, always, always mind flew back again like a, like a strong spring released uh, to its first position and presented the same problem uh, to be worked all through. Uh, was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in this state until the chime had gone three quarters more. Then he remembered, on a sudden, at the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell told one. Oh, he resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and considering that he had could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, <laughs> this was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. The quarter was so long that he was more than once convinced he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length, it broke upon his listening ear. Uh, in quotes, uh, ding-dong, exclamation point. A quarter past, said Scrooge, counting. Ding-dong. Oh, Oh, half past, said Scrooge. Ding dong. A quarter to it, said Scrooge. Ding dong. Oh, the hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly, and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it did uh, with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn. Uh, the curtains of his bed were not drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand. Not the curtains at his feet, nor the curtains at his back, but those to which his face was addressed. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge, starting up in a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with an unearthly visitor. Huh? who drew them, and as close as I am to you now. What is that supposed to mean? And I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. Uh, it was a strange figure, like a child. Yet, uh, not like a child, as like an old man, viewed through some uh, supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. The hell's that supposed to mean? Its hair, uh, which hung about its neck and, and, and down its back, was white as if with age, and, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, hmm? and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and ooh, muscular, 
in the hands of the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were, like those upper members, bare, and wore a tunic of the purest white, and around its waist was bound a lustrous belt, and the sheen of which was beautiful, oh, and it held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, eh? and in a singer con- uh, contradiction of that wintry album, uh, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers, eh? does that blow your mind? But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of his head, uh, there sprung a, a a bright, clear jet of light, that's weird, uh, by which all of this was visible, uh, which was doubtless the occasion of its using in its duller moments a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality, for as its belt sparkled and glittered, uh, now in one part, now in another, and what was light in one instant at another time was dark, and so that the figure itself fluctuated its distinctness, uh, being now a thing with one arm, eh, and now with one leg, and now with twenty legs, and now a pair of legs without a head, and now a, a head without a body. I have no idea what the hell's happening right now. Of which dissolving parts, no outline, would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder of this, it would be itself again distinct and clear as ever. Are you a spirit? "'Sir, whose coming was foretold to me?' asked Scrooge. "'I am!' Oh, the voice was soft and gentle, singularly low, as if instead of being so close beside him, it were at a distance. I get it. "'Who and what are you?' Scrooge demanded. "'I'm the ghost of Christmas past!' "'Long past?' inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish stature. Uh, "'No, your past!' Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anybody why, if anybody could have asked him, but he had a, a special desire to see the spirit in his cap, and begged him uh, to be covered. What? exclaimed the ghost. Uh, Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light I give? Uh, it is not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap, and forced me the whole trains of years to wear it upon uh, low upon my brow. Scrooge! reverently disclaimed all intention to offend or any knowledge of having willfully bonneted the spirit of any point in his life. And then he made a bold inquire uh, to what business brought him here. Your welfare, said the ghost. Scrooge expressed himself as much obliged, but he could not help thinking uh, what a night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it said immediately, Yeah, your reclamation then, take heed. It put out its strong hand as it spoke and clasped him gently by the arm. Rise and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes, and that the bed was warm, and the thermometer a long way below freezing, that he had, uh, was clad but lightly in his slippers and dressing gown and nightcap, but that he had a cold upon him at that time. Burp. The, ga- uh, the grasp, though gentle as a woman's hand, hmm? was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that the spirit made toward the window, clasped its robe in his supplication. I am but a mortal, Scrooge remonstrated, and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, said the spirit, laying upon his heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood open upon a country road, with fields on either hand, and the city was entirely vanished. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold, wintry day with the snow upon the ground. Uh, "'Good heavens!' said Scrooge, clasping his hands together as he looked about him. "'I was bred in this place. I was a, I was a boy here.' Now the spirit gazed upon him mildly. Its gentle touch, though it had been light and instantaneous, appeared still present in the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and, uh, and, uh, and joys.' And cares, long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling, said the ghost. Then what is it upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered with an unusual catching in his voice that it was a, it was a, it was a pimple. And begged the ghost to lead him to where he would. You collect the way, inquired the spirit. Remember it, said Scrooge with a fervor. I could walk it blindfolded. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years, observed the ghost. Let us go on. 
They walked along the road, Scrooge, recognizing every gate and every post and every tree, till the little market town appeared in the distance with his bridge, his church, his winding river. Uh, some shaggy ponies now were seen upon uh, trotting toward them, uh, with the boys upon their backs, who called to other boys in country gigs huh? and carts driven by farmers. All these boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other until the broad fields were so full of merry music that its crisp air uh, laughed to hear it. Yeah, you hear air laughing. These are but shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost. They have no consciousness of us. The jocund travelers. Ooh, jocund. Jocund? Let's go back. I want to see what that means. Jocund. Uh, jacend. Cheerful and lighthearted. Wasted my time looking that one up. Came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and uh, named them every one. Why, was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted at crossroads and byways for their several homes? What, what, what was a Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas, exclamation point, what good had it ever done him? Uh, the school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child neglected by his friends is left there still. Scrooge said he knew it, and he sobbed. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane and soon approached the mansion of a dull red brick with a little weathercock, a surmounted couple on the roof and a bell hanging in it. Uh, it was a large house, but one of broken fortunes, for the spacious offices were little used and their walls were damp eh, and mossy and their windows broken and their gates decayed. Fowls clucked uh, and strutted in stables and the coach houses and sheds were overrun with grass. Nor was it more retentive of its ancient state within for entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms. Oh, they, fa- oh, they found themselves poorly furnished, cold and vast. Oh, there's an unearthly savior, uh, savor in the air, whatever. A chilly bareness in the place, which associated itself somehow with uh, too much getting up by candlelight and not too much to eat. They went. The ghost and Scrooge crossed the hall to a door at the back of the house. Oh, it opened before them and uh, disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room, uh, made barer uh, by lines of plain deal forms at desks. Uh, at one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire. And, and Scrooge sat down upon the fort, and he wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. Uh, not a latent echo in the house, not a squeak and a scuffle from the mice behind the paneling, not a drip uh, from the half-thawed water spout in the dull yard behind, not a sigh among the leafless boughs of one despotic poplar, uh, not the idle swinging of an empty storehouse door, no, no, not a clicking in the fire, but fell upon the heart of Scrooge with softening influence and gave a freer passage to his tears." Well, the spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. Suddenly, a man in foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct uh, to look at, stood outside the window with an axe stuck in his belt, uh, leading by the bridle, leading by the bridle, an ass laden with wood. Why, it's Alibaba, Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. Oh, dear old honest Alibaba. Yes, yes, I know. One Christmas time, when yonder solitary child was left alone, all alone, he did come for the first time, just like that. Poor boy and Valentine, said Scrooge, and his wild brother Orson. Oh, there they go. And what's his name? Who is put down in his drawers, eh? asleep at the gate of Damascus? And don't you see him? And the sultan's groom turned upside down by the genie. Where is he upon his head? Serve him right. I'm glad of it. What business had he eh, to be married to the princess? I have no idea what's going on right now. To hear Scrooge expanding all the earnestness of his nature on the subject, the most extraordinary voice between laughing eh, and crying and to see his heightened and excited face would have been a surprise to his business friends in the city. Indeed. <clears throat> That's staying in the show. There's the parrot, cried Scrooge, green body, yellow tail, with a thing like lettuce growing out of the top of his head. Yeah, there he is. Oh, poor Robin Crusoe. Oh, he called him uh, when he came home again after sailing round the island. Poor Robin Crusoe. Where have you been, Robin Crusoe? The man thought as he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was the parrot, you know. There goes Friday, running for his life. I did a little creak. Holla. <laughs> Hoop. <laughs> Halloo. And then, with the rapidity of transition, transition, very foreign to his usual character, he said, Said in pity of his former self, poor boy, and cried again. 
I wish, hmm, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him after drying his eyes with his cuff. But it's too late now. What's the matter? asked the spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge. Nothing. There's a boy singing at Christmas Carol by door last night. I should have uh, liked to give him something. That's all. Well, the ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand, saying as it did so, Now let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. Uh, The panels shrunk, and the windows cracked, and fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling, and the naked laths were shown instead. Oh, but how all this was brought about Scrooge, no one uh, knows more than you do. And he he only knew that it was uh, quite correct, that everything had happened so, and there he was alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He's not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly, Scrooge looked at the ghost and, with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously toward the door. Dad, open! And a little girl, much younger than the boy, uh, came darting in and, putting her arms about his neck and often kissing him, addressed him as, Dear, dear brother, I have come to bring you home, dear brother, said the child, clapping her tiny hands, bending down to laugh, to bring you home, 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 exclamation point. "'Home, little fan,' returned the boy. "'Yes,' said the child, brimful of glee. "'Home for good and all. Home forever and ever. "'Father is so much kinder than he used to be. "'That's homes like heaven.' "'And he spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed "'that I was not afraid to ask him once more if he could come home. "'And he said, yes, he should. "'And he sent me to coach uh, to bring you. "'And you are to be a man,' said the child, opening her eyes. "'And you are never to come back here, but first... We're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in the world. Now, you're quite the woman, little fan, exclaimed the boy. Now, she clapped her hands and laughed (laughs) and tried to touch his head. But being uh, too little, laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him. Then she began to drag him, lay in her her, her childish eagerness toward the door. And he, nothing loath to go, accompanied her. Well... A terrible voice in the hall called, Bring down Master Scrooge's box there. And in the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with a ferocious condensation and threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him and then conveyed him and his sister to the veriest old well of a shivering best parlor they had ever seen, where the maps upon the wall and the celestial and terrestrial globes of the windows were uh, waxy with cold. And here he produced a decanter of curiously light wine, oh, nice for children, and a block of curiously heavy cake, weird, and administered installments of those dainties to the younger people, and at the same time sending out a meager service to offer a glass of, quote, something, oh, that's shady, to the postboy who answered that he thanked the gentleman. But, 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 but if it was the same tap as he had tasted before, he had rather not. Would he roofie it? Master Scrooge's trunk being by this time tied on the top of his chaise, the children bade the schoolmaster goodbye right willingly, and getting into it, drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoarfrost and snow from off the dark leaves of the evergreens like spray. Well, that about wraps uh, that part of the chapter up. Uh, The one thing that probably freaks me out the most about uh, this kind of story is uh, the kind of crap that people lived in. They're either huddled over one single candle trying to read a book, which is weird, or by a fire, that's also weird. Uh, or they or they have like the world's smallest windows. Uh, they just like they barely can crack open and then look out and be like, ah, fresh air. You know who would change the world. I used to have fantasies about this as a kid. What if I could go back in the 1960s with the music that I know now and then I could play that music? Oh boy, would I clean up. Not only would I be uh, famous but I get laid, which is something that Stephen Dorglas of DorglasIncorporated.com once told me. Oh, boy, if he could go back in the past, he would take the technology that they had available and revolutionize the world of Windows. He'd get everyone huge Windows, and boy, would he be famous, and he would finally get laid. He's never had sex. They're dedicated to the, uh, Stephen Dorglas from Dorglas uh, Incorporated, Dorglass.com. Uh, they're dedicated to fabricating and professionally installing the highest quality glass products from the nation's top manufacturers, their inventory, combined with their years of experience, make them the premier source for installation and repair. They approach every project with the same goals, professionalism, integrity, 
and they're discreet. Especially if any of those weird perverts from back in the 1800s are like, oh, I want a giant window, but everyone's houses are like five feet away from mine here in London. Uh, can I get some privacy? And he'd go, hmm. Stephen Dorglas would, would make that noise. Mm, I'll get you one-way glass. Like that. And then they'd say, Stephen Dorglas, you're a genius. And then he'd get laid. What do they do? Commercial storefronts, automatic entrances, windows, patio doors, mirrors, shower doors, installation, repair, and they'll design and build anything, especially if you're a pervert from the 1800s. Clients are Pottery Barn, Williams-Sonoma, Sherman-Williams, Portillo's, which is some kind of sandwich place that nobody really cares about, the Salt Cave, which is a place in Minneapolis where apparently you can do white people shit like yoga and uh, just sit and sweat because they heat it up to like 100 degrees. And they, they, the walls are made of, like, what is it, Himalayan salt or something. They backlight it so it looks like you're inside someone's stomach. And, uh, and they don't touch the walls. They even say on their website, for God's sake, don't touch the goddamn walls. Or else they'll call the Minneapolis police, which are horrible people, and they'll drag you away. And also, Applebee's. Well, with that, I feel like I'm kind of worked into a lather, thinking about people going back in time to get laid. Why don't we go up to my master bedroom, where I can tell you about the latest in romance literature from Penguin Random House Books. Boy, here I come. I've been waiting for this all week. It, uh, what the hell is that outfit? What do you... You got headphones on, a large mic clipped to your chest awkwardly, and a hat that says straight talk only. What are you... Some kind of shitty podcaster? Uh, what's that? You're pointing to a book on my voluptuous waterbed. Sleep No More by Jane Ann Krentz. Uh, about Sleep No More? Uh, New, New York Times bestselling author. God damn it. Every single one of them is a fake New York Times bestselling author. Jane Ann Krantz returns with the first novel of The Lost Night Files, uh, an exciting new romantic suspense trilogy about a night that changed three women forever. But none of them uh, can remember. Yeah, that's convenient. Uh, seven months ago, Palace Llewellyn, ugh, Taylor March, uh, and Amelia Rivers uh, were strangers until their fateful stay at the Lucent Springs Hotel. An earthquake and a fire partially destroyed the hotel. Jesus Christ. But the women have no memory of their time there. <laughs> and now, close friends, the three women co-host a podcast called Lost Night Files, uh, where they investigate cold cases and hope to connect with others who may have had a similar experience to theirs, and to experience that it somehow enhanced the psychic abilities already present in each woman. After receiving a tip for their podcast, Palace travels to the small college town of Carnelian, California, to explore an abandoned asylum. Shaken by the dark energy she feels in the building, she is rushing out when she's stopped by a dark figure who turns out to be the woman's mysterious tipster. Ambrose Drake uh, is certain she's a, he's a witness to a murder, but without a body, everyone thinks he's having delusions caused by extreme sleep deprivation. This is really specific. But Ambrose is positive something terrible happened at the Carnelian Sleep Institute the night he was there. Unable to find proof of his own, he approaches Palace for help, only for her to realize that Ambrose, too, has... A, a lost night that he can't remember. No, everyone's suffering from this problem. And one that may be connected to Palace. Oh, that's convenient. Palace and Ambrose conduct their investigation with their two horrible names, using the podcast as cover. And while the townsfolk are eager to share what they know, it turns out there are others who are not so happy about their questions. And someone is willing to kill to keep the truth from coming out. That sounds convoluted and stupid. That's Sleep No More by Jane Ann Krantz. Uh, it's hardcover for 28 bucks. Come out January 3rd at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, IndieBound, Powell's Target, and Walmart. Well, your weird, frumpy suit uh, with your stupid hat, I am not horny anymore. I was worked into a lather earlier thinking about uh, <coughs> Stephen Dorglas and his dreams of time travel, but now I am uh, I feel flaccid. So why don't we go back downstairs and uh, finish reading the rest of this chapter?
Ah, oh, well, there you are. It took forever to get back down the library. I see that you've changed your clothes back to normal clothes, but as a type of screw you, you're still wearing the hat. That's fine. I never liked you anyways. Always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered, said the ghost. She, But she had a large heart. So she had, cried Scrooge. You're right. I will not gainsay it. Spirit, God forbid. Uh, she died a woman, said the ghost, uh, and had, I think, children... One child, Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost. Your nephew. <laughs> Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind, but answered softly, yes. Although they had uh, but burp that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of the city where, oh, it's like I'm in an upchuck, where shadowy passengers passed and repassed and shadowy carts and co uh, coaches battled for the way, and all were the strife and tumult of a city where, oh, it was uh, made plain enough by the dressing of the shops, and here, too, it was Christmas time again. Eh, but it was uh, evening, and the streets were lighted up. Uh, the ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? Eh, said Scrooge. Was I apprenticed here? Eh. They went in, and at the sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig sitting behind such a high desk that if he had been two inches taller, he might have had knocked his head against the ceiling. Yeah, Scrooge cried in great excitement, Why, it's old Fezziwig! Oh, God, he's written about Fezziwig in different books. Does he keep reusing the same dumb names? Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig's alive again! <laughs> old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed at the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands and adjusted his capricious waistcoat, laughed all over himself, yeah, from his shoes uh, to his organ of benevolence. What was that supposed to mean? Oh, like his brain? All right, whatever. And called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice, Yo-ho there, Ebenezer, Dick... <laughs> Scrooge's former self, now grown to a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Dick Wilkins, to be sure, said Scrooge to the ghost. Bless me, yes. There he is. His was very much attached to me. He was Dick. Poor Dick. Dear, dear. Yo-ho, my boy, said Fezziwig. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve. Dick. Christmas. Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up, cried the old Fezziwig with a sharp clap of his hands before a man could say Jack Robinson. You wouldn't believe how those two fellows went at it. Oh, they charged in the street with the shutters, one, two, and three, and had them up in their places, four, five, six, barred them, and pinned them, seven, eight, nine, and came back before you could have got to a twelve, panting like racehorses. Hilly-ho! <laughs> cried old Fessywig, skipping down from the high desk with a wonderful agility. Clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Hilly-ho, Dick! Chirrup, Ebenezer Chirrup. I gotta look up Chirrup. Is Chirrup a... I mean, I get it. It just means, like, hurry up or something. Make repeated, short, high-pitched sounds. Say something in a high-pitched voice. Okay. Uh, clear away. There was nothing that they wouldn't have cleared away or couldn't have cleared away with old Fezziwig looking on. Obviously, it was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off as if it were dismissed from public life forevermore. And the floor was swept and, and watered. And the lamps were trimmed, fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright as a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. And in came the fiddler with the music book and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it and then turned like 50 stomach aches. Okay. And in came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast, substantial smile. In came three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. And in came six young followers, whose hearts they broke. And all came in the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her cousin and the baker. And in came the cook with her brother's particular. This is the reason why the book's so long. Uh, Fane of the milkman. And in came the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having board enough for his master, trying to hide himself behind the girl from the next door. But one uh, who was proved to have had her ears pulled by her mistress, and all they came, one after another, some shyly, eh, oh, some boldly, and some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling, and in they came, anyhow and everyhow. Away they all went, twenty couple at once, eh, hands half round and back again the other way, down the middle and up again, round and round, and very, this is the reason why the book's so long. Stages of affection and groping, ooh, and uh, old top couple always turning up at the wrong place. New top couple starting off again as soon as it got there, and all top couples at last, and not a bottom one to help them, exclamation point, <laughs> and then the result was brought about, old Fezziwig clapping his hands to stop the dance, 
cried out, well done. And the fiddler plunged his hot face into a pot of porter, especially provided for that purpose. But, scorning rest upon his appearance, he instantly began again, though there were no dancers yet, as if other fiddler had been carried home, exhausted on a shutter, and were a brand new man, resolved to beat him out of sight or perish. I barely understand what's going on right now. I guess they're dancing. There were more dances. Yep, they're dancing. And there were four fits. And more dances. And then there was cake. And there was negus. What's negus? I'm sure it's a drink. Let's take a, let's take a look. God, I love having my, uh, my Kindle back again. It's a hot drink of port sugar, lemon, and spices. That sounds disgusting. And there was a great piece of cold roast. And there was a great piece of cold boiled. And there was mince pies and plenty of beer. And the great effect of the evening came after the roast and boiled. When the fiddler, an artful dog, mind, a sort of man who knew his business better than you or I could have told it to him, struck up Sir Roger de Coverley. And then old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Miss Fezziwig, top couple two, uh, with, a, with a good stiff piece of work cut out for them. Three or four or twenty pair of partners, people who were not to be trifled with, people who would dance and had no notion of walking, but if they had been twice as many, ah, four times, old Fezziwig would have been much of a match for them, and so would Mrs. Fezziwig. As to her, eh, she was worthy to be his partner. I wish this part would end, in every sense of the term. It's not high praise. Uh, tell me higher, and I'll use it. A positive light appeared to issue from Fezziwig's calves. Hmm. Oh, they shone those calves, in every part of the dance like moons, and you wouldn't have predicted at any given time that he would have, that he'd become of them next. And then old Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig had gone all through the dance and advance, retire, both hands to your partner, bow, curtsy, corkscrew, uh, thread the needle, and back again to your place. Fezziwig, quote, cut, unquote, dash, cut so deftly that he appeared to wink with his legs, how do you do that, and came upon his feet again without a stagger. Oh, thank God. Though the clock struck 11, this domestic ball broke up. Jesus, that was a long one. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. When they, everybody had retired, but the two apprentices, that they did the same to them, and thus the cheerful voices died away, and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. <sighs> During the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. Oh, his heart and soul were in the scene, and with his former self, and he corroborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent uh, the strangest agitation. It was not until now, uh, when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them, that he remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking full upon him. And while the light upon his head burnt very clear, a small matter, said the ghost, to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small, echoed Scrooge. The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwig. And when he had done so, said, uh, Why is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heeded by the remark, speaking unconsciously, like his former, not his latter self. It isn't that, spirit. Uh, he has the power to render us happy or unhappy, uh, to make our service light eh, or burdensome, to pleasure or toil, to say that his power lies in words and looks in things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them up. What then? All oh, the happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. Well, he felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What's the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing particular, said Scrooge. Yeah, something, I think, said the ghost. Insist. Oh, no, said Scrooge. No, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. His former self turned down the lamps as he gave an utterance to the wish, and Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. Yeah, my time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick! This was not addressed to Scrooge or to anyone who he could see, but it was produced an immediate effect for Again, Scrooge saw himself. Ah, he was older now, a man in his prime of life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. Hmm. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in his eye, which showed that the passion that it had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. Yeah, he was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a morning dress, in whose eyes there were tears, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. 
It matters little, she said softly. To you, very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if I can cheer and comfort you in time to come as I would have tried to do, I have uh, no just cause to grieve. Well, well, idols displaced you, she rejoined. A golden one. Well, this was even-handed dealing of the word. She said, there is nothing on which it was uh, so hard as poverty, and there is nothing to profess to condemn such severity in the pursuit of wealth. Well, you fear the world too much, she answers gingerly. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have, I have seen your noble aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? Well, what then? He retorted. Even if I have grown so much wiser, uh, what then? I'm not changed towards you. Uh, she shook her head. Am I? Our contact is an old one. It is made when we were both poor and content to be so, until in good reason we could improve our worldly fortune by your, pat your patent industry. Uh, you are changed, and when it made you were another man. I was a boy, he said impatiently. Well, your own feeling tells you that you were not what you are, she returned. I am that which promised happiness when we were in one heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often, how often I keenly have I thought of this? I will not say it is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In other words, no, never. In, in what then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life. Another hope as its great end, and in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this is had never been between us, said the girl, looking mildly, but with steadiness upon him. Tell me, uh, would you seek me out eh, and try to win me now? Oh, no. He seemed to yield the justice of the super uh, supposition in spite of himself. But he said, with a struggle, yeah, you think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could, she answered. Heaven knows when I've learned the truth like this. I know how strong and irresistible it must be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, uh, can even I believe you would choose a dowerless girl? Uh, you, you, who in your very confidence with her weigh everything by gain or choosing her, if for a moment you were false enough, your one guiding principle to do so. Do, do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do, and I release you with a full heart uh, for the love of him you once were. I was about to speak, but with her head turned from him, oh, she resumed. You may, the memory of what is past, half makes me hope you will have this pain, uh, pain in this. A very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection of it gladly, burp, ooh, it burped while I talked, as a unprofitable dream, from which it happened well that you awoke. May you be happy in your life that you have chosen. Now she left him and they parted. Spirit, said Scrooge. Show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more, claimed the ghost. No more, said Scrooge. No more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost pined in him with both of his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in another scene and place, a room, not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl. Oh, so like the last that Scrooge believed it was the same until he saw her. Now a comely matron, hmm, sitting opposite her daughter. Oh, the noise in this room is perfectly tumultuous, for there was more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count. And, uh, and unlike the celebrated herd, herd, herd in the poem, uh, there were not 40 children conducting themselves like one, but every child was conducting itself like 40. The consequences were uproarious beyond belief, but no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter laughed heartily, ugh, ugh, gross, and enjoyed it very much. Ugh. And the latter soon began to mingle in the sports, got pillaged by the young brigands most ruthlessly. What uh, would I not have given to be one of them, though I never could have been so rude? No, no. I wouldn't, for the wealth of all the world, have crushed that braided hair and tore it down. And for the precious little shoe, I wouldn't have plucked it off. God bless my soul to save my life. As to measuring her waist in sport, as they did bold young brood. I couldn't have done it. I should have expected my arm to have grown round it for a punishment and never come straight again. And yet I should have dearly liked I own to have touched her lips, to have questioned her, 
uh, that she might have opened them and to have looked upon the lashes of her downcast eyes and never raised a blush to let loose waves of hair in an inch of which would be a keepsake beyond price. In short, I should have liked, I do confess, to have the slightest license of a child and yet to have been man enough to know its value. That's a really weird thing to say. Basically, I wish I was a kid so I could touch this woman. But now a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued that she, with laughing face and plundered dress, was borne toward it. <coughs> That's staying in the show. In the center of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father, who came home attended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. Then the shouting and the struggling and the onslaught that was made on the defenseless porter, oh, and scaling him with chairs for ladders, uh, they dive at his pockets, uh, dips to spoil him, uh, brown paper parcels hold on tight by his cravat and hug him round his neck, pummel his back and kick his legs in irrepressible affection. All the shouts of wonder and delight which which the development of every package was received, the terrible announcement that the baby had been taken uh, in the act of putting a doll's frying pan into his mouth and was more than suspected of having swallowed the fictitious turkey glued on a wooden platter, the immense relief of finding this a false alarm, all the joy and the gratitude and the ecstasy. Oh, they're all indescribable. Uh, it was enough by the degrees. The children and their emotions got out of the parlor and one by one stare up at time at the top of the house where they went to bed and so subsided. Jesus Christ, that was long. And now Scrooge looked down more attentively than ever when the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. And when he thought that such another creature, quite as graceful and as full of promise, might have called him father... And having been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life, his sight grew very dim indeed. Bell, said the husband, turning to his wife with a smile, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Uh, uh, who was it? Guess. How can I? Tut, don't I know? She added in the same breath, laughing as he laughed. <laughs> Mr. Scrooge. Yeah, Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window, and it was not shut up, and he had a cup of, had a candle in it, and I could scarcely help seeing him. His partner lies upon the point of death, I hear. He there sat alone, quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broken voice, remove me from this place. I told you these were the shadows of the things that have been, said the ghost, and that they're what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me, Scrooge exclaimed. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a, with a face in which some strange way there are fragments of all the faces he ever shown him, and wrestled with it. Uh, leave me, take me back, haunt me no longer. And in the struggle... If that can be called a struggle in which the ghost, with no visible resistance on its own part, was undisturbed by any effort of his adversary, Scrooge observed that its light was burning high and bright and dimly connecting that with its influence over it. Oh, he seized the extinguisher's cap and by a sudden action pressed it down upon his head. Well, the spirit dropped beneath it so that the extinguisher covered his whole form. But uh, though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, oh, he could not hide the light which streamed from under it with an unbroken flood from the ground. Oh, he was, he was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and further of being in his own bedroom. And he gave the cap a parting squeeze in which his hand relaxed and he had barely time to reel to bed uh, before he sank into a heavy sleep. Ah, well, there we go. Uh, why don't we go back down to the smoking room and uh, review what we just read. Well, there you go. Once you get yourself all settled in, uh, why don't you take a pipe? Eh? We're in the smoking room. You can smoke a pipe. That's what people do in smoking rooms. Uh, why don't we recap the story? Um, oh, uh, there, there's dancing? Uh, no, it's, there's some confusing thing with the clock where it's like, it's already two o'clock, but wait, now it's midnight? It must be noon. And then maybe it's not noon. Or the whole day passed. This whole dumb thing. I don't know. And then after that, he wound up getting a little, a, a boy, an old, a really old boy with strong hands and arms 
uh, more or less throws him through a wall, and they go back to his childhood, where they find out that he was a, a boy that nobody liked, and he sat by himself doing homework or reading. I don't know. He was a loser. Uh, I try not to associate with losers, so I didn't like that part of the story. Uh, but then his sister, for no reason, shows up and goes, Guess what? Uh, Dad's not mean anymore. Uh, so we're going home. Uh, Merry Christmas. And then uh, later, he gets transported to the future, where... This Fezziwig guy whose story I read last Christmas, because uh, he uses the same characters all the time because he can't think up any more bizarre names. Uh, he goes and there's like a dance, and the dance lasts forever, and I don't care. Uh, the only thing I remember from that whole thing is that this Fezziwig guy had calves that looked like moons when he danced, or, and that they winked at you. Somehow his calves winked at you, which must have been disgusting to watch. I've seen people with varicose veins on their legs. Uh, so then after that, uh, then it's a woman that is breaking up with him because he's not a nice guy anymore. And then it's, uh, his, what, nephew's wife and a bunch of kids. Uh, so there you go. That was uh, chapter two. Uh, I'm glad we're done with that. Oh, then he, then he assaults the, the man child, the, the baby old man, uh, assaults him so they can go to sleep. So I would hope that with the next ghost that shows up, if he doesn't want to go through whatever that torture is going to be, that he should just assault the ghost. Just try to beat the crap out of the ghost, and it'll make that whole part a lot shorter, and he can just maybe get to sleep. Well, with that, uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, I will be back probably again this week, because I realize this thing is five chapters long, it's a hundred pages, and uh, there's no way that this is a short story like I thought it was. So I uh, didn't plan well for this, and now i got to read a ton of this stuff, and i got to read it all real fast to get it done by Christmas. So with that, um, uh, God bless, and I will talk to you soon. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, including stuff like gestating the curious mind with my lady friend and also a a little side project I'm going to be doing with my daughter. Oh, I'm on Instagram, but no one uses that anymore because they all use TikTok. Am I ever going to get on TikTok? No. But if you want to look at my dead Instagram, it's at uh, HouseNuzzle. I also have Twitter, which I use the most, which is also conveniently at HouseNuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. 